Listen, whether you're here in the room this morning, I'm so thankful to be with you today. If you're watching online, I'm so thankful to be able to spend time with you this morning as well. I want you to know this morning, um, I showed up here early here at the church, and I've, I've been in prayer for our church uh, during all these months over the past, uh, during this season especially. And I just want you to know that um, even in praying this morning, like I am so encouraged to be a part of this church. I'm, I'm so encouraged to be a part of this body and to serve alongside of you guys and making a difference in this community. And it's been amazing what God has done in us and through us, even during difficult times like this. So I want to applaud you first and foremost and say it's an honor to be a part of this church and be a part of this body alongside of you. But secondly, um, I'm also burdened. I've been so burdened over these months. And, and especially as the family pastor here at the church, I'm burdened for our families within our community. And um, so even as we're getting closer to school starting back and stuff like that, we've, we've been so concerned about our health, which we, we should be, and, and we've done a good job of that. But, my, but more and more, my concern has turned towards our spiritual health. Like, are we doing what is necessary in order for us to stay connected to the Lord, to stay connected in our faith with him? And so this morning, I'm thankful that we get to gather once again to be reminded of God's love for us, his great love for us. Now, if you watched this video a second ago, anybody else get a little bit nervous? I mean, anxiety building up as in you're preparing to have a conversation with somebody. No matter what venue it's in, whether it's text, face-to-face, you're writing a letter, whatever it might be, there's some anxiety that comes along with having a conversation, really of any kind. When I see a video like that, it makes my palms sweaty, my knees get a little bit weak, just thinking about having a tough conversation. Now, even as we watched this video a second ago, there are, there's a phrase that I can't stand more than any other phrase in the, in the whole universe. It's made up of four very simple words, we need to talk. Even as I said it, it like does something to me. Maybe to your soul right now, you feel it. Someone says, we need to talk. There's some anxiety that comes along with that. Or how about this? When someone says, hey, listen, we need to talk later. What? Can you give me a topic? Like, what are we covering exactly when we talk a little bit later? Because I can't sit here and think about this until we talk later. It does something to me, and we can't have that kind of thing happen. There's some anxiety that comes along with having any kind of tough talk. And the reason is because most of us, we don't want to have a tough talk. We start asking questions like, why? What, what happened? What did I do? What's gone wrong? What do I need to fix? What exactly is behind this need for this particular conversation? I would say to classify what a tough talk is, a tough talk is any kind of communication that we are hesitant to have. Any kind of communication that we don't want to really partake in whether it's with ourselves, with other people, potentially with God as well, we don't want to have these talks. So for instance, maybe let's talk about finances. We all love a good talk about finances, don't we? A talk about a relationship, about something that was said or done that was hurtful, about job performance, expectations, curfew, addiction, responsibility. Any kind of conversation around these kinds of topics and others, I would consider to be and classify as tough talks. For the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at different types of tough talks that I believe we have to have if we're going to become the healthiest version of ourselves. If we're going to actually engage in relationships with other people, if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus, these are three conversations that must take place. We have to have tough talks with ourselves. We have to have tough talks with others. And we have to have tough talks with God himself. Now, many of us in the room, as soon as I say tough talks with others, again, no problem. I'm ready to have a talk with so-and-so. They, they need to hear what I have to say. Whoa, 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 slow down. And before we have a tough talk with God, potentially this conversation that we're going to talk about today needs to happen first, having a tough talk with ourselves, being willing to sit ourselves down and say, hey, listen, self, we need to talk. 
My mother-in-law lives on the lake, and so I've had the privilege this summer of watching people enjoy themselves on the lake. And there's what I have discovered throughout the summer, two different types of what I would call tube guys. Okay, the tube guys are the ones that have begun the responsibility of pulling children through the blazing hot sun for a few hours behind a boat on a tube. You know what I'm talking about? Those tube guys. There's two different types. The first tube guy is the one whose head is always on a swivel, completely aware of what's happening around him. He knows exactly when there's a child who's shot into the stratosphere because of a wave they just hit off that tube. He knows exactly how many children are still on his tube because he's looking constantly at what's happening around him. He's also not just aware of those who he's pulling, but he's also aware of the wake that he's leaving within the cove because this wake impacts all kinds of people around him. This tube guy is one who is completely aware. We like that tube guy, right? But there's another tube guy. And you might be this tube guy. If I offend you, Maybe there's a reason. Tube guy number two is one who is face forward, throttled down. No concern for what's happening around him. Other boaters, other swimmers. And he, in fact, has no clue that he's lost every child who was on that tube five minutes ago. Somewhere in the lake, and he has no idea where they are. Let alone the fact that he's driving fast enough through the cove, there's a wake that is causing havoc on every single shore, every dock, all around him. But guess what? He has no clue. Completely unaware. And I would argue in this conversation that we're having this morning, we, every single one of us, are one of those two types of tube guys. Either we are one, someone who is completely aware of what's happening within our life, completely aware of our internal world, or we are one who is completely unaware of what's happening within our life and within our internal world. You probably know people like this. This is the kind of person who doesn't understand why their marriage is a wreck, has no clue why their children don't want to be around them, doesn't understand why their friends have suddenly all gotten so busy. They don't realize the things they say, text, tweet, post could possibly be offensive to others. They're oblivious to the fact that the way they live their life does not align with their professed beliefs and convictions. We all know someone like this. Tube guy number two, completely unaware. You may know someone like this. In fact, this person may be you. It may be me. And so this morning as we talk, I want us to consider that maybe today is the kind of day where we need to look in the mirror and say to ourselves, self, we need to talk. Tough talks with self. You see, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. As I began wrestling through the scriptures, I found all throughout the Bible there is conversation about us being willing courageous enough, bold enough to be able to be aware of what's happening within our life. If we're going to have real love for God, real love for people, then I believe it really begins in this area right here. In fact, Jesus begins addressing this in a lot of different places, but in the book of Matthew, he speaks to a group of religious leaders called Pharisees. Here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, this discussion, this like cozy discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees actually begins in chapter 23, verse 13, and he starts pronouncing these seven different woes over the Pharisees. Now, these are not curses, but these woes are expressions of sorrow at the fate of the Pharisees, the fate of the religious people who were called to help lead the Jewish people. 
Jesus mentions, particularly in verse 27, that his frustration stems from the fact that he calls them whitewashed tombs. You are beautiful on the outside like you have everything together, but on the inside you're full of dead bones. Though they're walking around, breathing, eating, having the semblance of life, they should be six feet under because in the end they're dead on the inside. And so when Jesus refers to them as whitewashed tombs, every Jewish listener would have understood exactly what he was saying here. Because yearly there was a festival of Passover where everyone would travel to Jerusalem to come and worship God together. And people would come from all over the place. And so what would happen is anyone who had a grave along a road, in a field, somewhere around Jerusalem, once a year, a month before this Passover took place, they would go out and they would wash the tombstones of these particular graves with a mixture of lime and chalk and water. And what it would do is it would make these tombstones bright, shiny white. So as you were coming into Jerusalem, you could avoid them and walk around them and stay far from them. And here's why. Anyone coming to worship God during Passover in Jerusalem, if you were to come in contact with a, a dead body, bones, or a tomb of some kind, you would be considered ceremonially unclean for seven days. You would be unable to worship God during Passover because you would un- inadvertently come across one of these tombs. So they would whitewash them, making sure that everyone would know, stay clear of this. And these graves would be beautiful, white as snow, but on the inside, underneath, dead bones and full of death. And so Jesus makes the comparison with the Pharisees. You have all the signs of being alive. You have all the pieces of being alive, trustworthy protectors of God's law. But in reality, you're dead. On the outside, you look beautiful, put together completely. But on the inside, you're lifeless and falling apart. And here's the saddest part of all. The Pharisees were completely unaware. Completely unaware of their internal life. And so Jesus pronounces these woes over them. Woe to you, Pharisees. You hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. And the reason Jesus is doing this is his desire would be that they would be introspective enough. They would be self-aware enough. They would be honest with themselves, be able to recognize there are places within their life where they need the healing touch of God. So hear this. Wherever you find the fruit of a Pharisee, a judgmental attitude, condescending, hypocritical, you could take it to the bank. You have encountered someone who is unwilling to have a tough talk with themselves. But where you find the fruit of the opposite, a spirit of generosity, of humility, of integrity, you will find someone who's willing to sit down with themselves and have a tough talk. You know, Blaise Pascal once said this. This quote hit me right in the face this week. All of man's or woman's problems stem from his or her inability to sit in a quiet room alone. That just hit me or anybody else in the room or anyone at home. Our problems stem from the fact that we are unable to sit in a quiet room alone. This is true. And we live in a culture that is so overstimulated, so busy, so preoccupied that we never take time to slow down enough to be introspective enough to look into our life and find out what's really going on. And here's the thing. For many of us, our busyness, our overstimulation, our preoccupation, it's a strategic way of not having to do the hard work of being introspective. We do it on purpose. 
any time that we feel like we're potentially sliding into being introspective, looking about what's honestly happening, we get busy. We find something to do. We throw ourselves into our work. We watch more sports. Maybe one day. We do other things to stay busy and to keep ourselves moving. We have to learn what I would say this morning. Uh, we have to learn how to use our inside voice. You see, for a lot of us, we're really good at the outside voice. We love having conversations with people. We're like, Listen, here's all the places you're kind of screwed up. You might want to take care of that. Uh, listen, here's the problem that's going on within the workroom. It has nothing to do with me. It actually has a lot to do with you. I love to have an outside talk with somebody else around me. But we are not very good at having the inside voice. To be able to speak to ourselves what's really going on, what's really happening, not with people around us, but instead with ourselves. The writer of Psalm 42 displays for us what this inside voice looks like. Here's what he says in Psalm 42, verse 5. The writer says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love the way this psalm begins, or in verse 5, the way he writes this. Why, O oh soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? What is going on? He's plumbing the depths of his heart's finding out what's happening within his life. You see, for some of us, we don't really know what's happening with our life. Sometimes we get so frustrated, we yell at the kids, we kick the family dog, we fight with our coworkers, we feel depressed, we feel overwhelmed. And if we're honest, we don't actually know why. Because we're so busy. We're so overstimulated. I mean, let's be honest. In the past few months, it's been a bit hectic, right? Pandemic, social unrest, contracting economy, racial disparity, 24-7 news cycle, toxic social media, etc. maybe this could have something to do with the way that we feel. And maybe it's the reason that it's coming out sideways in all kinds of relationships and things around us. But guess what? We will never have a clue until we get silent enough and allow ourselves to become aware of what's happening within our internal life. Introspective and aware. My life really changed about my junior year of college when I was going to uh, Columbia International University, go Rams. And when I was there at CIU, I was an outdoor leadership minor. And so for a part of our class, we traveled to North Carolina to go backpacking one weekend. And uh, our, our, my mentor and our class teacher took us up to North Carolina and he ended up placing us along this mountainside, uh, one person at a time, all by ourselves, and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take part in what's called a solo. You're going to stay here. That means alone, by the way. You're going to stay here for as many hours until I come back and get you. We're like, excuse me, sir, how long until I come back and get you? Okay. So sure enough, we get placed on this mountainside and we have hours ahead of us. We have no idea how long. I don't know about you, but that's like my greatest nightmare all by myself for hours. Now he gave us some scripture to read and he said, listen, I want you to be quiet long enough that you might hear the, the spirit of God, the words of God speak over you. I was like, or maybe I'll just kind of write out the next couple hours until you come back and everything will be fine. So I sat there by myself on this mountainside and I kept feeling myself wanting to go to certain places, think about certain things. And if I'm really honest, it had a lot to do with like past mistakes, past hurts, past sins, and I kept feeling myself wanting to go there, my, my mind and my heart wanting to go there. And every time I'm like, no, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that, do something else. Look at this ant. I would find anything else to think about and look at. But there was a moment in time on the side of that mountain where all of a sudden I felt myself allow myself to go there. 
like kind of slide into some of those feelings and wrestle with like some sadness, wrestle with some difficult places. And I, and I actually felt myself like open up to God to begin to do things. But here's what I noticed. The tone of that internal voice during that time on the mountain began to, to switch because at the very beginning it was condescending. It was depressing. It was aggravated. But eventually, as I spent more time there, all of a sudden this tone began to change. And it was no longer this kind of difficult tone that was going on around the things that were happening in my life, but instead it became something that sounded a lot more like grace and mercy, forgiveness and hope. Because the tone's important. You see, for some of us, when we have conversation with ourselves, when we have a tough talk with ourselves, that tone oftentimes sounds like what the Bible would call the accuser, the evil one who wants to beat us down and make sure that we know how horrible we are. Instead of what the Bible might call the Father, the one who loves us and who cares about us enough to speak into our lives. I'll be very honest with you, it was on the side of that mountain that my life changed. But the, the trajectory of my life, the direction of my life was transformed simply because I slowed down enough, got quiet enough, became aware enough to hear what God was wanting to do within me. You see, this practice is crucial. The practice of becoming aware of what's happening within our life. But what's also crucial is being careful with the tone that we use when we speak within ourselves we have tough conversation because we oftentimes have a, a, a temptation to go to one extreme or the other, right? We start having a tough talk with ourselves. Either we slide to one extreme and we see ourselves as better than we actually are. We have a conversation with ourselves. Often it's very permissive. Hey man, do what you want. Live however you want. You are perfect just the way you are. Nothing needs to change. That's a ditch. There's another extreme that we can go to as well. And this particular extreme is the exact opposite. We speak to ourselves as worse than we actually are. It becomes self-pity. It's paralyzing. It's despair. It's condemning. And we convince ourselves that we are broken with no hope of restoration. There are two extremes that we must, that we must be careful to never get into. Two ditches that we can get stuck into. We must fight to see ourselves, what I would call, accurately. See, in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to people in Romans chapter 12 about what it looks like to really love God well and live in relationship with one another. You're very familiar probably with Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and so forth. But verse 3, here's what he says. This is an interesting piece of this passage. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to every single one of you. You see, Paul, he knows the extremes, doesn't he? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But at the same time, think of yourself with a sober judgment. Paul, I believe here, is advocating for a balance in the way that we see ourselves, seeing ourselves accurately. It's not self-pity, but it's not self-promotion. In fact, when you read the words sober judgment in the Greek, it holds a picture of like proper control, a God-controlled perspective about ourselves. We see ourselves the way God sees us, not the way we're tempted to see ourselves. You see, if you're a parent, anything like me, you've probably had a conversation with your kid that was not like super great, 
right? You've sat down and be like, hey, listen, you can't punch your brother in the face anymore. It's inappropriate. You can't say these things to people. You can't take this piece of gum. You can't do whatever it is, right? Now, the way my children often respond to a conversation like that, we'll sit down and be like, listen, you can't light the house on fire, whatever it is. You can't do these things. And oftentimes my child will respond by saying this, listen, I get it, I'm a terrible kid. Just get rid of me. Like, what? You just put me in the dumpster and just roll me out to the road. I'm like, no, the, the trash man wouldn't take you anyway. Just kidding. But they go to this extreme, like, I'm just so awful. I'm a terrible kid. And I'm like, no, no, you are not listening to me. You're not hearing what I'm saying. See yourself accurately. I love you so much as your dad that I'm willing to sit down with you and have this conversation with you because I love you. You're not listening to me. See, this is the balance that we have to begin to have with our life. We can't see ourselves better than we actually are. At the same time, we shouldn't see our, ourselves as less than we actually are, but have a God-controlled perspective about who we are. Paul says, a sober self-assessment to allow ourselves to look into this internal life, to go there, to be quiet, to have a tough talk, but to be careful the tone that we use when we do so. Be God-controlled that God might speak to us, that we might speak to ourselves full of grace and truth because condemnation is paralyzing, but conviction leads to change. This is the balance. So back to this conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. Now, just a reminder, those who would be coming to Jerusalem to take part in worship, if they came in contact with those tombs, they would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. It would have a profound impact upon them. So when Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs, you Pharisees, what he's saying is your inability to be unaware is not just affecting you. Your inability to be, un to be aware actually could be affecting people around you. There's a corruption piece to this. There's, this is viral. There's a bit of contagion when it comes to being unaware. We need to have tough talks with ourselves, not just because it will do something for us but also because it will do something for those around us. It will benefit those around us. You show me a mother who is willing to be self-aware, I will show you children who are secure. You show me a husband who is willing to be self-aware, I will show you a marriage that thrives. You show me a teenager who is self-aware, I will show you someone who is full of incredible influence. You show me a Christian who is willing to check up on their heart and their life often, I will show you a gospel that brings change. Awareness is key. Now, some see this as a, as a weakness. We become so aware that we actually may go to someone and say, listen, I'm sorry. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to change some things. I need to change some priorities. This is not weakness. This is strength. This is the courage to do the hard work of looking into our internal life and deciding, God, what are you trying to do? And I'm willing to work with you on it. You see, your tough talk is not just about you. It's about your family. It's about your friends. It's about your children. It's about your coworkers. It's about anybody that you come in contact with. And so Jesus addresses the Pharisees because they're completely missing the point. They're completely unaware of their life. They have the semblance of having the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within their life, but they render the Spirit of God completely ineffective. And for you and I today, however, I would argue that to be truly spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, it takes a good balance between the Holy Spirit of God being poured into us and the hard work of being aware of what God wants to do within our life. 
You have to have both. Because here's the thing. You can read the Bible all the time. You can come to church on a Sunday morning or watch online often. You can do all of these things. You can pray morning and night. You can do all of the seemingly religious and spiritual things you could possibly do. But here's the thing. If you have no awareness of what God is trying to do within you, it means nothing. Spirit of God in awareness, in balance, that's when supernatural things begin to happen. That's where life change begins to happen. You see, these, these Pharisees, they had the semblance of spirit within their life, but they were ineffective. You see, I believe that spirit without awareness leads to complacency, hypocrisy, and judgmental attitudes. When you have spirit, the spirit of God within you, I know a lot of people who love God with their whole hearts, who are true Jesus followers, who want to do what God wants them to do, but they lack awareness They have no way of knowing what's really happening within them, and it keeps them from growing. And here's what happens. We become complacent. There's nothing else God could do in my life because I've arrived. I've got the Spirit of God within me. What else could possibly change? We become complacent. We become hypocritical. We begin to live double lives because on the outside, we got it all put together. But on the inside, we're dead bones. And when we have Holy Spirit, but we don't have awareness, we also can have a judgmental attitude because we've made it. We've had everything happen with our life that God wants to do, but guess who hasn't? Every other person within our life. Maybe you're the common denominator. If everybody else has got a problem, maybe you're the problem. Maybe God's trying to show you something. Spirit without awareness leads to complacency, hypocrisy, and judgmental attitudes. But the opposite is true as well. Awareness without spirit leads to frustration, despair, and a lack of hope. If you are aware of the things that need to happen within your life and change that needs to take place within your life, but you do not have the Holy Spirit of God within your life, that's frustrating. Because I know the things that need to change, but I don't have the power to actually allow it to happen within my life. Not only that, it can lead to despair. How will I ever become the husband I want to be? How will I ever become the father I want to be? How can I ever become the person that I want to be? I know what needs to change, but I lack the power. And ultimately, it can lead to a lack of hope. Nothing will ever change. But when we have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us, and when we have the awareness and good balance that is when supernatural things begin to happen. When we become honest with ourselves about our life, when we open up to the work of God, this is where things change. We might begin to say things like this. I am aware that I exhibit a temper too often towards my family. God, help me to practice self-control. I am aware that I am consumed by my obsession with social media. God, invite me to find my fulfillment in you and not in likes and follows. I'm aware that I do not put forth the effort that I need to within my marriage. God, help my heart to choose to love even when I don't feel like it. I'm aware that I use sarcasm to try to be funny, but it hurts people around me. God, help me to find other ways to be funny without using people at their expense. When we have awareness within our life, we invite the Spirit of God to do work within us. Man, everything can change. That's what a tough talk looks like with self. Now, I would not want to have a tough talk like this without giving real opportunity for transformation, real opportunity to do something about this. There's three ways I think we can respond. The first one is this. 
maybe this morning you need to make the decision to invite Jesus actually into your life. Now again, we're at church together and for sometimes when we come to church, we feel like we've got the spirit of God within us. I'm not so naive to believe that there are some in the room, some who are watching on the line right now who come here on a Sunday morning, but you've never had a real conversion experience. You've never said to Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. That means I bow to you. I do what you want in my life. I say the things and I live the way that you lead me to, God. Some of us this morning, I believe, need to invite Jesus into our life, maybe for the very first time to begin to take control. Because we've tried for a long time and some of us, we've done a horrible job. Jesus, would you come into my life? And this morning, it's super simple. That's how you do it. God, I've made a mess of my life. Would you come and live and dwell inside of me? I want to live my life for you, not for myself anymore. Secondly, maybe the thing we need to do is we need to become students of ourselves, which sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Students of ourselves, doing the hard work of discovering who we've been created to be, how we've been wired. This might mean there's some personality tests you could take, maybe the Enneagram, discs, uh, Myers-Briggs, you name it. Maybe some ways to discover who am I really. This also might mean making time in the morning, in the evening, to spend time being introspective enough, slowing down, saying, God, search my heart, search my soul, show me what I'm not seeing. Become a student of ourselves. Lastly, as a church, we are connected to some amazing counseling agencies in this this community and actually within our church itself. And maybe one of the, the wisest things you could do would be to say, I'm not sure I can navigate this all by myself. I need someone to help me. And if that's you this morning, online, here in this audience, you can simply email us at care at mounthorbumc.com. We would love to connect you with someone that could help you walk through some of these difficult areas to become the healthiest version of yourself. So you might learn how to become introspective, completely aware, and learn how to allow the Spirit of God to work in you and through you. And so this morning, I think this is the talk that we have to have first. Listen, self, we need to talk. I've avoided you for a long time, but I can't avoid you anymore. Would you pray with me? God, today, I invite you to speak into my life, to show me the corners and the places that I often don't go. I invite you now, God, by the Spirit of God, that you might fall on this place, that every one of us in this audience right now who are watching online, God, that we would begin to feel the Spirit's nudge towards certain areas of our life that we need to be aware of. God, it's painful. I know that it is. It is hard. I know that it is, but it's worth it. And so God, as you begin to do this work, maybe even now as you're pointing out things in our life, I pray that also you would comfort us, that you would encourage us, that you give us great hope because we don't have to do this alone. Your spirit will come and dwell inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the very one who will come and make these changes within us that we might become the people that God wants us to be. God, I'm so burdened. There's never been a time this might be more necessary than right now within our culture, within our country, within our world? Would you make us true followers of Jesus who live whole lives, whatever situation that we're in? 
May we learn to be honest with ourselves. May we learn to open ourselves up to the spirits working in us and through us. So now, God, as we sing this closing song together, would you just do a work that only you can do this morning in each and every one of us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.